One of the most common errors, I believe, in a, in a, a person's life is to think that they do not have any issues with pride. We don't like to think about that. We don't like to think that we are a proud people. But all of us, as I mentioned in the closing of the sermon this morning, or sometime during the sermon this morning, that all of us deal with elements of pride in our life. And Jesus here is teaching his disciples once again on this issue of self-love, pride, uh, self-promotion. And he's teaching them that that's not the way to be great in God's kingdom. There's a lot of things that the world will tell us about how to be great in this kingdom, this earthly world. But it's totally contrary to what the Bible has to say. You cannot live by the values of the world and walk with God. It's an impossibility. If you try and live by earthly values and walk with God, your walk with God is going to suffer. You must learn to be able to switch your values, your priorities, your worldview, the way that you look at things. And so uh, Jesus has told his disciples over and over again to, to uh, gain a top position is to go after the lower position. To be the, the, the chiefest is to be the servant. We're going to see it here again this evening. The world will tell you that if you want to be uh, large and in charge, you've got to promote yourself. You've got to push your agenda. You've got to uh, toot your own horn and let everybody know how good you really are. That's not what Jesus says. See, for the, the life of the church and for us as individuals, humility is to be a hallmark of our lives. It is to be something that we, we strive after, that we want to be a humble person. As a matter of fact, if you want to be like Christ, you have to be humble. Humility has to be a key virtue, a key attitude, a key value in your life, if you're going to be like Christ. And are we not called to be Christ-like? So if we're called to be Christ-like, and would anybody in here say that Christ was proud? No, the Bible completely tells us that what? He humbled himself unto death in Philippians, what? Even the death of the cross. And why did he say even the death of the cross? Because that was the most humiliating type of death that there could be. It was reserved for the lowest of the low. And so if we're going to be Christ-like, then we must change our value system. We must look at the world differently. And the issue for many of us is that we bring, we bring the world's viewpoint into the church and it hinders the work of God. I told you this morning that if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God and, and greatness and humility are not at two opposite ends. Because Jesus says, you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you be humble. This is the way you do it. 
So to be humble doesn't mean that you can't be great. Because being humble in the kingdom of God equals greatness. It equals greatness. See, the reason we, we have a hard time with that is because we think of a person who is great that is full of themselves. Again, the world has twisted that. In God's kingdom, a person who is great thinks less of themselves. So in God's kingdom, if you want to be great, I told you this this morning, it's marked by sacrifice. Your life is marked by sacrifice. But number two, I want you to take a look here this evening. If we're going to be great in the kingdom, our lives must be marked by sacrifice. But number two, God's kingdom, I, I stated this in a negative way. I stated one in a positive way. I stated two in a negative way because that's the way it is in the text right after it. And then I stated another in a positive way. So you got two bookends of positives and two negatives in there because that's the way it looks like in the text. So God's kingdom is not marked, number two, by self-absorption. God's kingdom is not marked by self-absorption. Verses 20 through 23, we see this. And, and you really can uh, start to see it um, in, in verse 20. God's kingdom is not marked by self-absorption. Here you go. Write this down. You don't abuse relationships. You don't abuse relationships. Take a look. Then, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. There are a couple levels of relationships here in this. If you See, this is the wonderful thing about the Bible. The more that you study it, you can dig deeper. And yeah, remember, some of you might remember, and I'm showing my age a little bit. I, I, don't, I only remember hearing this a little bit, but the name Paul Harvey... And what do you hear? And that's the rest of the story. Okay? Well, that's what the, this is what's happening here. We see just the front matter. Okay? We just get to see the surface. But uh, what I'm going to show you is the rest of the story. You say, well, where do you see abuse of relationships or the potential of abuse in relationships here by becoming self-absorbed? Well, there, what we find here is there's a family request right here. There was a family relationship. It says that it was the mother of the sons of Zebedee that worshipped, or another word for that, we would say knelt before the Lord to make a request. What I find interesting is, is Matthew's the, the only one that mentions this in particular like this. And remember, it, Matthew's trying to show Jesus is king, so she's trying to utilize her family relationship to the king. You know, it's called nepotism. Okay, and I want you to show a real. I want you to show you a real possibility of why she's mentioned, and this could be revealing the abuse of this family relationship. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter twenty-seven, if you would please, Matthew chapter twenty-seven, and take a look here, and verse fifty-six. Now they're at the cross right here. Jesus is being crucified. Uh, verse 55, and many women there uh, were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering in him, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. 
Now turn over to Mark. This is Mark's account, chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. And take a look at verse 40. There were also, verse 40, Mark chapter 15 and verse 40, there were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and Joseph, and Salome. Doesn't say, doesn't use the term, the mother of Zebedee's children. Says Salome. Now take a look at John chapter 19. And I want you to take a look at John 19 and verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. Now look at this. And his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. So it's a real possibility that the mother of Zebedee's children, Salome, and the wife of Cleopas are all the same person. And what's being said here is that Zebedee's children was all likelihood their mother's sister. And so Jesus' aunt went to Jesus and asked on behalf of her sons, which were his cousins, the family relationship, to be seated in the highest position of honor. But not only was there, I I believe that there could be a, a family request, but I believe that there was a formal request I want you to note here that the inner circle of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that they, they, it was marked by three. It was Peter, James, and John. And, and James and John, who were the children of Zebedee, they were part of his inner circle. They had a formal relationship with Jesus. They were the ones who were asked on a number of occasions to go off to special places with Jesus. They had a deeper relationship with Jesus than the other nine. See, the point is that you and I are not supposed to be so self-seeking, so uh, uh, self-absorbed that we would willingly abuse the relationships in order to get what we want in the church. You know, well, I'm a Sunday school teacher, so then I'll put a little bit of pressure on the pastor to be able to make this type of decision, or I'm a deacon, or I'm a staff member, or I'm a choir You see what I'm saying? See, humility in the kingdom of God is not concerned with self-absorption. Instead, take a look here, letter B, instead you will suffer for Christ. Verses 22 and 23, you will suffer for Christ. And he says here in verse 22, but Jesus answered and said, you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, we are able. 
And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. You know, Jesus said to the disciples, You have no idea what you're asking for. They didn't understand that all that the cup represented and all that the baptism would mean for them. All that they saw was self-exaltation. All that they saw was position and power. They didn't see what it would take to get there. They were looking at the kingdom through earthly eyes. They were looking at the splendor. They were looking at the glory. But greatness in the kingdom of God only comes through suffering. June 25th this past year, I read this. As a matter of fact, and then one of, our, um, one of my deacons here, one of our deacons texted this to me, this devotional. I read Upmost for Our Highest Every Day uh, with Oswald Chambers. Upmost for His Highest, I should say. And it talked about this, about suffering. My attitude as a saint to sorrow and, and my attitude as a saint to sorrow and difficulty is not to ask that they may be prevented but to ask that I may persevere the self God created me to be through every fire of sorrow. O Lord, receive, our Lord received himself in the fire of sorrow. He was not saved from the hour, but out of the hour. If we try and evade sorrow, refuse to lay our account with it, we're foolish. Sorrow is one of the biggest facts in life. It is no use, to, uh, uh, no use saying sorrow ought not to be. Sin, sorrow, and suffering are, and it is not for us to say that God has made a mistake in allowing them. Sorrow burns up great amount of shallowness in our life. Sorrows burns up great amount of shallowness in our life. Isn't it amazing the people that you see that go through the most difficulty the most suffering many times are the ones that walk with the most humble of attitudes. Amen. And what we see, if we're going to be marked as great in the kingdom of God, we will not be so self-absorbed that we will try and avoid suffering, but that we will suffer for the cause of Christ. I don't have time to go into it and talk to you. I could talk to you about the cup and what that represents in the Old Testament and the baptism and what Jesus was talking about. But let me just give to you that it's, it has uh, the connotations of suffering for Christ. And that's exactly what these disciples did. They suffered for Christ. Let me ask you this evening. Would you and I be marked by self-absorption? See, to be great in the kingdom of God is to be marked by sacrifice and not to be self-absorbed. But number three, God's kingdom is not made up of those who have a domineering spirit. Who have a domineering spirit. Verse 24, take a look. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. You don't have a domineering spirit through fleshly ambition. Fleshly ambition. Now listen, I don't want you to think that you should never strive to do your best. I'm not trying to have us have a laissez-faire attitude and uh, what will be will be and we shouldn't strive to do all to the glory of God. No, matter of fact, that's not what it's talking about here at all. 
And too many times people say, well, I'm just trying to be humble, so I'm not going to take on that leadership position, or I'm not going to strive to try and be the best. No, that's totally contrary to Scripture. Ambition is not wrong. Selfish ambition is. Fleshly ambition is. See, the motivation behind the ambition is key. Why do I want to do what I want to do? What is my motive behind? What, why do I, why do I uh, want to pastor this work? I remember Brother Dan Hammond. He was on the uh, Deacon Fellowship. And before I came, I was contacted three times before I came here over a three to four year period to come and consider being the pastor of Open Bible. The first time the deacons called, I said, no, I'm not interested. I'm going to be staying in Ohio for the rest of my life. The second time, my dad called me around Christmas time of another year, and I said, no, and please tell the deacons never to contact me again. I'm not coming. Then the third time, they called me. They said, obviously, either they didn't listen to my father or my dad never passed that message along. (laughs) Knowing my father, he probably never passed the message along, knowing my dad. Um, And uh, they called and said, would you please pray about it? I said, okay, I'll pray about it. And so I prayed about it, and obviously the rest is history. But the first time, it was Brother Hammond, and I remember he called me. I know exactly where I was. I was sitting in the Walmart parking lot in Urbana, Ohio. And he called me, and we talked for a few minutes, and I, I, I believe that at that point I just declined. When I came back and he, had, he was interviewing me with the other deacons, he said, well, why do you feel that before you had turned us down, and now why do you feel that you are, you are qualified to be able to become the pastor here? Why didn't you take it before? Why didn't you accept it before? And I remember saying to him, I looked at him, and I said, because I knew that I wasn't spiritually ready. You know what I was saying? I was saying, what's my motivation? I could have taken it, taken it. Okay, you understand what I'm talking about in this context, okay? I could have accepted that or whatever you want to call it out of fleshly motivation. Said, oh, well, man, that would be wonderful to be the pastor of Open Bible Baptist Church and be able to this and that and it's well known and all that kind of stuff. My point is there's nothing wrong with having ambition, but the ambition must be for the glory of God. The only thing that I want to see here, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't care if anybody ever remembers my name that I was pastor of Open Bible Baptist Church. I could care less. All that I want to see is I want to see a lighthouse established here for the glory of God that are reaching literally around the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing people saved, seeing the kingdom built, and seeing God glorified. That is my motivation. Okay. You have to ask yourself, why? So why are you teaching that Sunday school class? Well, because they don't have anybody else. Well, we're glad that you're there, but we really wish that you change your motivation. How about doing it because those boys and girls need Jesus as their personal Savior, and you don't know you could be training the next pastor for that pulpit right there. You could be training the next pastor's wife. You could be training the next Christian lawyer. You could be training maybe the next president of the United States that may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in your Sunday school class and then You can have an influence not only on a little boy or a little girl, but you could end up having an influence on the whole country because your motivation was right. 
See, the point is that God's kingdom is not made up of those who have a dominating spirit through, through fleshly ambition. See, it says that these ten were moved by indignation. They were envious that these others had made that request. Why was that? Because they also had selfish ambition. They just didn't have the nerve to ask. They wanted the exact same thing that these guys were asking for. They wanted to sit on the right hand. They wanted to sit on the left hand. They wanted to be, that was the highest position outside of the ruler of the land. That's where they wanted to be. They just didn't have the guts to ask it. That's why they were angry. That's why they were filled with that indignation. See, their desire was no different than the other two disciples. None. But God's kingdom is not made up of those who have a dominating spirit through fleshly ambition, but through abuse of power. Abuse of power. Jesus now steps in to teach a very valuable lesson. All these disciples had the wrong idea about the kingdom of God. They missed it. They had been living the wrong principle about the kingdom regarding greatness. And now Jesus exposes the difference between an earthly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. He appeals to their common knowledge. He says, verse 25, But Jesus called unto them, un, unto him and said, Ye know. It's like, it's like we would say this. Look, folks, this is common knowledge. You've heard that term, right? We would say, this is common knowledge. Or everybody here knows. Or as we say it up north, you say, You guys knows what I'm talking about. You know? And he says that the rulers of the world, they oppress they, they abuse their power. They come down on them with great authority. The world says, basically, what's the point of being a ruler if you can't use your authority? See, the world is all about power and exercising their dominion over people. I have a position, and I'm going to use it. They know how to use and abuse their power. You know, that's not the way it's supposed to be in the church. You know, there have been times in, in, in the church where, um, and I'll open up the back door so you can see maybe in the deacon fellowship where maybe we, me and the deacons, we may not have agreed on something. And as pastor here, I'm given great authority to be able to lead this church, and I thank the Lord for that. And though the deacons may not agree with me, I have the authority to be able to move forward. I have that authority. But you know what? I've often said, just because you have authority doesn't mean that you need to use it. And my philosophy is, if I can't convince six men to follow the idea that I have, how in the world am I going to get 300? Maybe God's using them to put the brakes on. Maybe, or maybe God's used just to be able to say, let's pray about this. There are times where we may have to table something. And I've looked at deacons in the past and I've said, now look, you've got the same Holy Spirit I've got. So why don't you pray that if God needs to change your heart, he changes your heart. And I'll pray that if God needs to change my heart, he changes my heart. And it's amazing how things start to work out that way, isn't it? 
See, the point is, in the church, no matter if you're, you're a Sunday school superintendent or if you're a staff member or if you're uh, the choir director or if you're a deacon or whoever or if you're head of the ushers, if you head up a ministry, just because you have authority doesn't mean that you need to lord it over people. See, the kingdom is not about those who have a, dominating, a domineering spirit and abusing the, the authority or the power that they have, but it is to be used for what? Remember, what's the purpose? For the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God. That's what we're here for. We're not here for our agenda. We're not here for our preferences. We're not here for what we want. We are here for what he wants, and if we are going to see God do a great work here at Open Bible, we must be a humble people. But then lastly, number four, God's kingdom is made up of those who selflessly serve. Verses 26 through 28. God's kingdom is made up of those who selflessly serve. We see that first through the demand, through the demand of Christ. This isn't a request. Christ is demanding this. He's saying, this is what, this is the way it will be in my kingdom. He's coming down as king now. He's saying, look, this is the way that it's going to be. This is the demand of Christ. We are going to serve selflessly if you're going to be great. He starts to explain what it looks like to be great in God's kingdom. He's demanding for what? A different kind of leadership. You know what I find? That if you take these principles, moms and dads, grandmoms and grandpops, and you apply these principles to your home, these principles not only work in a church, but they work in a home. Remember, the church is just a family. But if you apply this to your home, to your marriage, it will transform your marriage. It will transform your home. Could you imagine having a teenager that selflessly serves? Man, I thought I would get some laughs out of that one. I mean, <laughs> Christ demands a different kind of leadership. Jesus is saying, as I mentioned before, that we're not to have the values of the society. See, in the kingdom, the greater, now listen, the greater bears the burden of the weaker. In the world, what is it? The weaker serve the greater. In the kingdom, it is the greater that bears the burden of the weaker. One of the things that I try and keep on my own heart and my own mind is what Paul has said. The more that I love, the less I'm loved. The more that I love, the less I'm loved. Because whenever you deal with people and you give yourself selflessly to be able to serve them, and I'm not saying that I do that, I'm saying but I'm in that process of growing in that area, okay? You love people, and you continually love them, but what happens many times is that's not reciprocated. What I found is that those who you serve the most usually abuse you the greatest. <laughs> but I keep in my mind, so you say, why do you keep that in your mind, Pastor? Because you know what? I can develop a bitter spirit. I can develop a negative attitude. I can become cynical just like anybody else. 
And so I must keep in the forefront of my mind that, look, I must serve selflessly in the kingdom and I've got to be a different kind of leader and and how should I lead as pastor of this church to remember that the more that I love, the less I may be loved and that's okay because I'm loved by him. You know, and no matter where you find yourself in any level of leadership, I'm telling you, take these principles into your job. You want to start enjoying life? This is one of the, this is, this way of living is one of the greatest ways. Now, it's one of the most difficult ways to live, but it's one of the most joy-filled ways to live. It's one of the most satisfying ways to live. Why? Because you're not living for others. You're living for Him. Jesus builds on a principle here. In verse 26, Let me just give this to you because I'm out of time. I'll just give it to you quick. He talks, there's four words in verses 26 and 27 that I want you to take a look at. Great and minister. Great means an important person. Minister, it's the same word as deacon. Deacon was not a religious word at this time. Okay? The word for deacon, diakonos, that Greek word, it became sanctified. The church sanctified it. Okay? All it meant was servant, okay? It wasn't a religious word. It was a common word that they took and they sanctified it. So he's saying, he talks about great and minister. And then in verse 27, he mentions two other words. He's building, Jesus is building. And he mentions chief. And then he mentions servant. Chief is the one who's most prominent out in front. And then he mentions the word servant. That word servant is doulos, The only way that that word should really be translated is slave, not servant. There's nothing in any type of Greek literature that you'll find that the word doulos is ever translated servant. It's always translated slave. And the point that Jesus was making is the demands of the type of leadership that one should have in the church, the, 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 the way that they should become great in the, the work of God, I should say, in the kingdom, is to serve selflessly. He's, he's taking it to the most graphic and lowliest of terms that us as children of God, part of the kingdom of God, we should seek to be the slave of others. Whew. That's some pretty strong terminology. See, to have your heart set on eminence is to lose the heart of the Christian way. The Bible says that our master took on the form of a servant or a slave and lived in humble obscurity all of his life. This is the man that Christ puts on his followers. And then lastly, let her be the demonstration of Christ. God's kingdom is made up of those who selflessly serve, and that is found in the demand of Christ, and then it's also found in the demonstration of Christ. What does it say here? It says in verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It almost comes full circle. Ransom, this is a voluntary act. He gave of his own accord. The word ransom is taken, it's originally from practices of war. It's where a great price was paid 
to bring a prisoner of war out of his captivity. That's what that word ransom, it came from, it was a war term. And that's what would be paid for somebody who was a captive in war. And Jesus demonstrated kingdom greatness by paying the price to affect our release of all of us who were once held captives in some kind of bondage. So let me ask you this evening, is your life marked by sacrifice? Is your life more of self-absorption? Would others around you say that you've got a domineering spirit or is your life marked by ones who selflessly serve? Oh, well, let me put it to you this way. Could your current life, the way that you are living now, if Jesus were to evaluate it, which he is, he does that, would he mark you for one who was great in the kingdom or not? See, I think that if we're not careful... We'll start to believe the lie of self-love, self-promotion, pride, and pushing ones forward. Listen, you just do your best for the glory of God and let God promote whom we will promote and let God put down whom we will put down. But you live your life not so that you can be recognized in this kingdom, but that one day you'll be recognized in the next as one of the greatest. What I find interesting is that what, Je what Jesus said about John the Baptist, that there is none greater in the kingdom. Hmm. And what did John the Baptist say about himself. I must decrease. He must increase. And Jesus said, there's none born of women that were greater than John the Baptist. Would you be considered, would I be considered great in the kingdom? 